Hey there, I'm Nikki Milne, high school dropout and ex-hairdresser and salon owner turned PR and marketing expert and founder of the Peth Collective PR Agency. The Passion to Profit podcast is a conversational business podcast with a focus on marketing and PR to help business owners scale successfully, acquire more customers, increase your profits and become that desired go-to brand in your industry. So open your notepad on your phone, get out your pens and paper. You don't want to miss any of the following tips, tricks, and strategies that you're about to experience on the Passion to Profit podcast. Let's get started. My journey. So I thought I'd start this podcast with a little bit of a background into myself so you can get to know me better and understand the reason why I do what I do and what has driven me for all these years to be a business owner and entrepreneur that is constantly striving and diversifying and challenging myself. So I grew up in a small country town in the southwest of Western Australia to working class parents. They were incredibly hard workers. I vividly remember in my childhood, my dad would work all day starting up his new business. And then at night he would work all night at CBH, which is a grain processing facility down there. So he would live off a few hours sleep most days. And he did this for quite a few years to get his business off the ground. And that was one of my most vivid early memories of being maybe six. And he would, we'd see him in the morning for a few hours and he'd go off to work in his business, which was a roof recording business he was starting. And then he'd come around about 4 p.m. He'd come home for an hour or two, maybe catch an hour's sleep. And then by 6 p.m. he would be back on shift at CBH. This he did for many, many years. And in the middle of all that, he also was a paid football coach. So on the weekends, we would travel with him and he would be paid to coach um, some of the regional teams. He was a very good footballer and that was also an additional income stream. My mom, she also worked nights where possible even supermarkets, filling in shelves. I remember that vividly as a child. And then obviously in later years, she um, worked as a receptionist at a labor hire company. And prior to that, she worked at Toy World, which was actually one of my very first jobs, stacking shelves at Toy World. So just a little insight, you can see I've had working parents and incredibly hardworking parents. My mom and dad went on to own a large business in Albany, a roof recording business, and it certainly set me up for a life ahead of knowing how much hard work one needs to put in to be successful. So I had that amazing role model. My parents were very strong and I would say hard parents. They were very, very respected and authoritative. Um, my dad obviously being the local business coach, uh, local football coach, and my mum played a lot of sport. And we were raised that, you know, you keep trying. If you fail, you get up, you try it again, you try again. And that resilience has carried me through for an incredibly long time. And I credit part of that resilience to my success because no is not an option in my family. There is a way, you will find a way, and you keep trying. You know, my dad was very illiterate. He dropped out of school um, when he was 11 or 12. So reading and writing wasn't at the forefront of priorities for him as a child. But, you know, what he built over time was quite incredible with my mum by his side and doing a lot of the, um, my mum obviously was all the bookworking, which bookwork she loved. And um, that led to a very successful partnership. 
And lastly, on my parents, they decided at 50, uh, my dad wanted to retire. That was his whole goal. And he got there and he retired very successfully at 50. And now they live a good life of playing golf on a big property in their dream home. Um, And, you know, that again was a really big uh, role model for me that to set a goal that you want to achieve. And for me, I, I hope to pay my my husband and I hope to pay our mortgage off by the time I turn 40. So that's very soon and we're very close. And, you know, that's going to be an amazing achievement in my life. So money was something also I was taught a lot of when I was young. I was actually, I remember one of my first memories was being, or one of my most prevailing memories, should I say, was my parents um, giving me a car at 17 or 18 and putting it in the driveway and saying, right, you can pay it off. And I remember being furious because all my friends were getting four-wheel drives, their parents were gifting them cars, my cousins were getting cars, and my parents were probably the better set up or the more wealthy out of a lot of them, and they said, no, Nikki, you need to pay this car off. So I went to the little local store, which was a service station, and I got a job, and I think at the time I was also teaching modeling and uh, working at Toyota, and I would have been 17, and I hated that car. So I worked and worked my butt off to pay off that car. Now they paid some um, the insurance and I think some fuel for a little while, but I worked and worked to pay off. I think it was an $8,000 car. And that was an incredibly good lesson at the time. I was so spiteful for, to them, but now being much older and wiser, it was actually a really good lesson for me and set me up for saving. And a few years after that, which I'll talk about in a minute, I went traveling and I sold my car and they made me leave all that money in Albany tied up in a bank and I couldn't access it. And again, that was a really smart money lesson because I would have been a 19-year-old that of course would have blown it. I would have spent it all, but they said, no, that is for when you stop traveling and you come back and you want to buy a car or you want to buy a business or you want to do something, you're going to have this little nest egg of all this money. So I am very grateful for a lot of the money lessons my parents taught me. So I wasn't particularly great at school. Um, You know, I got distracted. My family was a very surfing family. We're at the beach a lot. I bodyboarded a lot. I surfed a lot. I hung out with the boys. I was incredibly bullied, incredibly bullied for through school. I had bright red hair, believe it or not, carrot red hair. And uh, the kids would tease me, in particular the girls. They weren't, you know, huge fans of me. I had this bright red hair and I hung out with all the boys. And, you know, I had a lot of respect from the boys, partly, again, because my dad was a football coach, but also because, um, you know, I, I was one of them. I was in the water. I was surfing with them. And, yeah, that bullying was relentless. But, again, it taught me resilience and why it was horrible to go through at school. Now I can look back and be grateful that I took a lot out of that. And, you know, that's why I try to be as kind and fair as I can. And also that resilience has done me a lot of good in later years. So by the age of 16, you know, I was average at school. I wanted to drop out. My parents, you know, thought that I might be going to uni or something like that. And I didn't want to. So I wanted to do a hairdressing apprenticeship. So they made me go back and do year 11 and sit my TE, as it was called back then. And I sat that and then I left and took up a hairdressing apprenticeship. So I took up a hairdressing apprenticeship. I found it very quite easy from um, coming from school. I blitzed through it pretty quickly. And then by the third year, I had 
an opportunity back then hairdressing apprenticeships for four years. I had an opportunity to go and live in Broome. So it was basically an exchange. I would go up for the busy season, which is the opposite season to what it is in Albany, and head up to Broome for the peak tourism season and work for a sister salon. So another salon that was a beta, the brand I was working with. So my best friend and I decided that off we would go. Two 19-year-old blonde girls obviously mine was fake by that stage, heading off to Broome on this road trip. And I remember my mom is the most organized. My parents are so organized. Everything has a place and, you know, we do everything planned and methodically. My best friend, her family was completely different to mine. She was one of five daughters. They flied by the seat of their pants. They owned a caravan park. And, you know, we were off on this adventure to Broome and my best friend Jess said her mom would drive us. And our plane flight, I think, was at 9 a.m. in the morning. And her mum was like, no, we'll just leave at 10 p.m. at night. And I'm like, oh, my God, my mum and dad would have been up there a day earlier in Perth. You know, we have a four-hour drive to catch this flight. And her mum's like, no, we will just leave at, you know, 10 p.m. So I remember going, okay, so we're going to live at 10 p.m. We all Jess and I loaded into the car with all our luggage and her mum got the car and we got in the car and we started driving to Perth and we got to Williams. So for anyone that, you know, isn't familiar with Albany Highway, Williams is about halfway. So about two hours in and we got there and her mum went, oh, I don't think we've got enough fuel. And I was like, are you serious? And I mean, coming from my background, and this is why I adore Jess's family so much, because they were as absolute opposite as you could get of mine. So we pulled on the side of the road and we had to wait. <laughs> an hour or two for someone to come along. And then we eventually got to a service station, got the fuel, but we were still two hours out of Perth. And I think our flight was four hours away. Maybe it was three. Anyway, long story short, we made it just to your airport in Perth. We ran onto the plane and we were off to Broome. And so the adventure began. I spent about six, seven months in Broome working at this amazing hair salon for uh, these two very eccentric gay guys. And that was one of the biggest lessons of my life as well in coming in authority and how to treat people. And, you know, this is going back nearly to, well, it would be almost 20 years ago now. And I remember a very influential man in town come in and sat down and started having his hair cut. And he said to the main owner, you know, isn't your mum so disappointed you're gay? And he was having his hair coloured and cut. And I vividly remember to this day, the owner, Jason, telling this guy to stand up and get out of his salon and he will not be spoken to like this. And he didn't care that he was this influential man. He kicked him out of the salon and said, I will not tolerate being spoken to like that. And that was a game changer for me because it really reiterated that no matter how successful you are, you can't treat people like that. And in your own space, whether that be your own business or your own home, you absolutely can say, hey, calling this out, this is not okay and remove them. So that was one of the very first of many lessons I learned in that salon. They pushed boundaries. They were crazy. And, you know, I vividly, again, remember one of the main things of going to Broome. I got, there was a welcome party thrown for us and we walked into this party and there was all these cocktails being served. And to me, they looked like they had sugar around the rim of them. And I walked up into the kitchen and one of the mothers was there of the person hosting the party. And I mean, the person hosting the party was over 30. And, you know, I said, oh, that's really cool. You're rimming in with sugar. And she said, no, darling, it's the cocaine. Welcome to Broome. And, you know, I was not a drug taker. Still this day is not a drug taker. Um, My parents are very, very 
very, very cutthroat about that. You did not take drugs. And we were terrified of him. We didn't. So that was not something I entered into, but it was a, such an insight into like, where the hell am I? This is the first time I've been in Broome, really the first time I traveled away from home by myself. And that was one of the first instances of being really in the party scene of Broome. There was also another moment that I remember when I was at a nightclub in Broome, well, the only nightclub in Broome, and it was KFC night. And KFC means that back then, 20 years ago, there was no KFC in Broome. So they used to bring it up on an aeroplane. So the last flight out of town or up to Broome would come in and maybe it'd land about 10, 11 o'clock at night. It would have a load of KFC on this flight. And then they would take it to the nightclub and put it in Bay Marie's out the front and it would be KFC night and you would buy KFC at Broome at the nightclub. So anyway, it was KFC night, so everyone was raging and partying and eating KFC, which was such a delight for broom people. And I walked out and I'd had enough. I'd only been in broom, I think, about three or four weeks. I was still relatively new. And it would have been two or three o'clock in the morning. And I walked straight out and I saw a taxi and I opened the door and I got into this taxi. And they said, you know, where are you? the guy said, where are you staying? And I said, oh, Cable Beach. And so he started driving. And it was not the way to Cable Beach. And he took me to the outskirts of Broome into the dark and I could see back. And if you've ever been to Broome, you may remember this back in the day. I could see back in the distance the town of Broome, but I couldn't actually see, you know, any landmarks around me. There was no houses. I was very much out in the rural wilderness and with the lights twinkling in the very, very distance. And I started saying, look, this is not the way to Cable Beach. We're on a gravel road. I started to get really uncomfortable. And I tried to get, say, stop. I want to get out. And he locked the doors on me. And I thought, oh, my God, I'm in trouble here. I do not know where I am. I'm in the middle of nowhere with this random guy in a taxi on a gravel road. And I can't see any house or anything I can run to. So we're speeding along this gravel road. And I kept trying the lock and trying the lock. And eventually I got out. And I ran and it was terrifying and I ran and I ran all the way back and I can't remember, I think I was picked up or something. And then, yeah, it was the most terrifying experience of my life and I still remember it. And I was obviously got to safety. Someone helped me. I reported it. They didn't think a hell of a lot of it at the time, maybe thought drunk young girl in town. And then the week after I was telling someone else, I think I was cutting their hair and they said, oh, it's funny you say that. There's been rumors of a bogus taxi in Broome for a long time that someone goes out, an older guy, and he just sticks on a magnetic strip that goes across his car that says Broome Taxis. And then he sits at the nightclub and waits for people to run out and do exactly what I did and get into a bogus car. But I will never know if it was him or some other random weird person but I just remember it was incredibly lucky that I escaped and I had my wits about me to get out of that taxi and just run. And that was an incredibly terrifying moment of living in Broome back 20 years ago. So that gave me a lot of street sense then. And, you know, that was a very quick lesson to learn at 19. So when I went and traveling in my later years 
you know, I never got that drunk. I didn't know where I was. And I never got that drunk that I didn't, you know, couldn't get it myself out of situations to the best of my ability. So Broome was a wild party town and I partied up there and cut hair and had a great time doing all sorts of things and lived the fun life up there at the tavern. And yeah, had a great time, but the, it come to an end and I had to return to Albany. So I returned to Albany, never forgetting those people, Jason and Gavin, that took me under their wing and broom at the salon. And prior to them, me leaving, they pulled me aside and they gave me the most beautiful gift. And it was a Linny's pearl necklace. Now I still wear that necklace to this day, 20 years later, even though I've never come across them again, I still wear that necklace. And it meant the world to me that someone recognized what I was doing and thanked me for my service. And if you watched my Insta stories last year, you'll see that I finally got to pay that forward and gift it to the two gorgeous girls that currently work for me, Paige and Celeste. I gifted them a diamond necklace. And, you know, it was like a full circle moment for me because I remember at 19 the impact of being gifted that incredible pearl necklace from Linny's to me from them. And then to then be able to be in a financial position, you know, almost 19, 20 years later to do the same thing that to my young team members, you know, it was a really powerful moment. So I went back to Albany and I then had, you know, I had itchy feet. I wanted to travel and I still had four or five months left on my apprenticeship. So I was flicking through some ads on Seek, as you do, and I saw this incredible opportunity to go work on Hayman Island, the most prestigious, beautiful island I had ever heard of and ever seen in Queensland. And typical me, I went, well, I'll just apply. It doesn't matter. I'm not qualified. And so I admitted that from my um, resume and I just put forward, I'm a hairdresser, I'm a trained makeup artist and beauty therapist, and I would love the opportunity to work at Hayman Island. Well, two days later, I got a phone call saying, Nikki, we've read your resume. We'd love you to come and start. How soon can you get here? And my jaw dropped. I remember the back room at the salon, me receiving that phone call. And I kind of stammered and said, but I'm not actually qualified yet. I'm not a qualified hairdresser. I need to see out my training. And they said, you know what? That's fine. When you get here, we'll, you know, there will be a job waiting for you. And I was like, I'm probably six to seven months away. And they said, that's fine. So off I went. I finished up my apprenticeship in Albany and for my 21st birthday, my parents gave me a ticket basically around Australia, pass leading to Airlie Beach in Queensland, which is uh, just near Hayman Island. So I left Albany. I went to Tasmania to stay with my auntie for a mile. I had a girlfriend with me. So we spent about three or four weeks in Tasmania. Then we went to Melbourne for a while, spent a few weeks there. Then we went to Gold Coast, partied with Paris Hilton one night, had a great time on the Gold Coast for a week or two, and then made our way up to Airlie Beach. Now, Airlie Beach is a place very iconic with people from Albany. For some reason, many of us from Albany end up in Airlie Beach and we all know each other there. So I ended up living in for two years in Ellie Beach and my job there, I did acquire that job at Hayman Island. I became the hair and makeup artist and probably three to four times a week, if not more, I would be flown by seaplane out to Hayman Island where I would do celebrities' hair and makeup and weddings. So that was my role. I refused to live on the island because all my friends were back at Ellie Beach. And to be honest, it was party town. It was nonstop. You could party from up, sun up to sundown every night for weeks and months on end if you wanted. And I loved that atmosphere. I, as you, many of you know, I don't sleep much. So that suited me fine. So I 
have many stories to share about that. One that comes to mind is being with at a wedding out there and I'd done the hair and makeup and all the bridal party were partying. I was staying the night and fortunately, again, they put me up in an actual hotel room. And if you haven't seen Hayman Island, Google it or check out their Instagram. It is incredible. So I had a room with a, on the edge of the pool and, you know, we were partying with the wedding party. And these people were so wealthy. I remember they were actually smoking $100 bills. I kid you not. They were rolling them up and lighting them on fire. Now, that was a while ago. So they were up more paper bills back that day than the plastic ones we see. But that was such an eye-opener. I also one day did a wedding and the bridesmaids were really irate and the bride was being a nightmare and I could not work it out. And then the bride left the room. And I said something to the bridesmaid, how do you know the bride? You know, have you known her for a long time? And she said, oh, no, we're paid to be bridesmaids. And it turned out that this bride wanted the picture-perfect wedding at Hayman Island at this ridiculous expense that, you know, it was back then. And she had hired three beautiful girls from Sydney that all look like models to be her bridesmaid. Now, the sad thing was her sister was in the room and she wasn't a bridesmaid. And she was lovely, the sister. I do remember that. But that stuck with me always about being that shallow that you wanted this big elaborate wedding on Hayman Island, so much so that you hired three women you did not know to be your bridesmaids. So there was many, many stories like that. And, you know, that was a wonderful time in my life, partying on Hayman, partying at Early Beach living the life. I did a, I was a travel agent for a little while. I did hairdressing in town for a family I knew from Albany and I had a great time, but I started to get bored and think, no, it's time to move on. I was doing lots of celebrities. I guess the most famous person I did was Ivana Trump. So Donald Trump's wife. I think she was even ex-wife at that stage, but she come in and I did her hair and makeup for shoots for Women's Day and various other things. But you know, all that glamour and glitz, I was you know, getting tired of of the lifestyle. And I knew that you could easily get stuck there. I saw people that were 40 and 50 there and they looked like they'd, they were going to be there for a long time. And they looked like they'd partied since the day they were born. And I didn't want to be that person. So I left Ellie Beach and moved to Melbourne. I had a friend down there and I stayed with that friend. And I, I remember arriving and this apartment I arrived to where she was staying was on Chapel Street. And I went up into this apartment and when I got there, there was guns, real guns all over the table. Now I'm a country girl. I've seen guns in my life and been brought up around them on farms, but you know, this was quite confronting and the owner wasn't in the apartment. Turned out he was in jail for things that I probably should not go into. And about two weeks into it of staying there, he got out and he, I guess the quickest and easiest way to explain it or liken it to was like the mafia in Melbourne. So, you know, I was again a very impressionable 22-year-old and we started driving around in limousines. He had endless, amazing, expensive cars and we would drive around in these limousines and we'd pull up to nightclubs and we'd be ushered straight in. It didn't matter where we were went. These people were so influential and I'm not sure if it was for the right or wrong reasons. I didn't really question it much, but I knew I was getting myself into a dangerous situation. I mean, I was pretty close to my parents at the time and I was saying, you know, I don't like it. I've got to get out of here. And so then I ended up, my friend and I decided to move out of that apartment and we got our own at the other end. 
But obviously, as I'm sure you can guess, there was lots of drugs involved. I, again, was not taking them. I had, you know, my parents had installed that in me and I think that's what kept me safe all those years was and didn't know no matter how much we were partying, I never, ever touched drugs. And so, yeah, we got an apartment down the other end of Chapel Street, but then there was a big drug bust and, you know, the people had been in our apartment literally maybe an hour or two before the big drug bust and that was enough to scare me into thinking I've got to go home. So I rang my parents and they're like, right, get out of there. Let's get on a plane. We'll pay for you to come back. You know, so I borrowed $2,000 for them and I packed up my stuff, bought a flight, sorted everything out and just jumped on a plane and went home. And I got to Perth and I stayed with my cousins in Perth. And that was, um, you know, a great opportunity. I had two cousins here that were renting with three other people from Albany in Leadable. I landed there. They were kind enough to give me a room um, and, you know, that was me arriving in Perth. So I was here for maybe a few months and I looked around and I didn't want to go back to Albany. I felt I'd outgrown the small town that I grew up in. And I did remember going back down and I was wearing knee high boots and someone rang my mom and said, have you seen what your daughter's wearing? She's wearing knee high boots. I'd come from Melbourne where fashion was everywhere, especially on Chapel Street. And to me, I was like, oh, my God, I'm just wearing what I would have wore walking down the street in Chapel Street. So I thought, mm, Albany is probably not for me anymore. Um, and also, you know, I felt like I had to make it on my own. And so I'd been in Perth a few months and I got a job at a hairdressing salon and I you know, I've always been ambitious and very strong-minded, as you can probably see. And I started making suggestions to how things they could improve. And looking back, I was quite obnoxious and very outspoken. And they suggested that I move into their city salon. I didn't want to work in their city salon because it was going to cost more in parking and I had to look after a team. And they basically said, you need to move in to the city salon. So I moved into the city salon very reluctantly and, you know, I was getting really wild that I was doing all this additional work without payment. They wouldn't pay an increase even though I was managing now a team of five, probably more, and I had all this additional parking fees. And then one day, like literally maybe a week after I moved into the city in this position, I had the owner come in and say, you're fired, and he had two people escort me out of the building. Well, I was in shock absolutely shocked. I had never been fired in my life. I had no idea what I'd done wrong, except for I guess had been opinionated, but not that much that I warranted firing. And I remember them marching me out of Wolf Lane and walking me down the street like I was a criminal. And it was the most humiliating, low, one of the lowest points of my life. And I was just distraught. It was a Friday and I rang my parents and said, I've been fired. I don't know why. I just, I, I can't, I just am just so shocked. And they said, Nikki, go home to your yeah, house where you're staying, grab some stuff and come down to Albany for the weekend. So I drove down on Friday and we got down and my, by the time I got down, my parents were like, we think it's time. You should grow up. You should, we should buy a salon together. You know, we'll go halves. Let's start looking. So the next morning, Saturday morning, we got up, we opened the paper, old school, and in those classified sections for sale was a hairdressing salon in Subi. And it was 100 metres from the place that I had just been fired from. So the owner also owned one in Subiaco and it was 100 metres from where I'd just been fired from. And I thought, well, this is kind of karma. So we literally, on that sad day, less than 24 hours later, jumped in the car, drove to Perth. About three or four o'clock in the afternoon, we viewed the salon and we put an offer on it. 
and it was accepted. And so that begins the next chapter of my story about owning the first hairdressing salon and my first business in Subiaco. I hope you loved today's episode. I am so passionate about sharing the stories of other business owners and passing on my knowledge and experience from the last 17 years of business ownership. If you enjoyed the Passion to Profit podcast, it would mean so much to me if you left a review or you shared it to your Insta stories. Don't forget to tag me at Nikki Milne underscore. In the show notes below, you'll find a link to my new step-by-step marketing audit for your business. Together, we're going to audit your current digital assets, identify your weaknesses, and you'll discover the solutions you need to accelerate growth in your business right now. And did I mention that I am letting you have this complimentary for a limited time only? It is valued at $297. So what are you waiting for? Go to nikkimilne.com forward slash business audit or hit the link in the show notes below. I'll see you there.